0: listening to the Thornapple Valley Church podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tbcweb.com. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad to see you here. It's so much more fun preaching when you're here. <laughs> And welcome to all of you that are watching online. We're so glad that you have taken the time to join us and so grateful for the technology that allows us to be together virtually. So a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Jeff opened this Higher Calling series, inviting us to attend his mock memorial service where our Hastings worship leader, Brian, did a memorable eulogy for him with a little input from his wife, Ann. The point was to drive home the reality that nobody gets out of here alive and ask us to consider what people might say about us at our memorial service and what we might want them to say. He challenged us that life is about more than just being a consumer. That it's really not the one with the most toys when they die wins. There are higher callings for all of us. Maybe some of them just for a day. Like the good Samaritan that responded to a higher calling just for one day. He told us you don't have to be in full-time ministry to have a higher calling. It doesn't matter what our job is. God needs people in every arena of society to advance his kingdom, to touch the lives of the people that are there. So then he spent the rest of the sermon just kind of poking at us, asking us if we're trading significance for pleasure. Of course we are. Challenging us to live out our higher calling. So Today, I want to talk about the highest calling of all, the foundational calling that applies to all of us no matter what other callings and giftings we may have. If we don't get this one right, our other callings, no matter what they are, will not function as they should because this is the one foundation on which all callings rest. Let me say that again. If we don't get this one right our other callings will not function the way they should because this is the foundational calling on which all other callings rest. Now, if you're new with us or maybe you're not a Christ follower, you're just kind of checking things out, that's okay. I respect that. I'm getting ready to throw a ton of scriptures and Bible stories and theological concepts at you, if it gets a bit overwhelming, don't worry about it. Just pick out a couple of key things to take away. Do the best you can, and I'll hang out over by the prayer wall after the service if you have questions that you want to ask me, all right? So, are you ready? Here we go. A religious leader asked Jesus, what was the greatest commandment? And in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Jesus said, this is the most important thing, to love God. To love God. That seems too simple. To love God is our most important calling. So how do we do that? How do we come to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind? Well, the first conclusion I came to was that yelling at you to do it, you got to love God, was probably not going to be very helpful. Then I remembered Pastor Jeff saying something a few weeks ago when he was talking about forgiveness. He said, don't wait for good feelings. Act to create the circumstances for them to arrive. Now, he was applying those words to our need to forgive others who've wronged us. But I believe they can apply to just about any area of our lives, especially where we're trying to obey God. And I think they can apply to loving God with everything we have. So how can we act to create the circumstances where we love God with all of our heart and soul and mind? I'm glad you asked that question. I have several ideas. Let's start with an amazing verse out of 1 John. 1 John 4:19 says this: We love him because he first loved us. Now, it's interesting to me that this was written by the apostle John, who called himself the disciple that Jesus loved 5 times in his gospel. Now, <laughs> I just want to point out to you that those verses are not in Matthew or Mark or Luke. John is the only one who's telling us that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. So let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus really loved John more than he loved the other disciples? Did he love John more than he loved Peter? What do you think? What about James? Did he love John more than he loved James? You guys are being very non-committal this morning, just kind of looking at me. Well, I, I really don't think so. I think that maybe somehow John was able to receive Jesus' love in a way that the other disciples didn't. He actually gives us a clue about this in 1 John four sixteen. He says this, We have known and believed the love that God has for us. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Now, this new Passion Translation that's just come out recently says it this way. We have come into an intimate experience with God's love. I like that. We've come into an intimate experience with God's love, and we trust in the love He has for us. It's not just knowing about God's love, it's having an experience of God's love that makes all the difference. You now, Jeff kept saying a couple of weeks ago, I'm just poking at you today. So here's my first pokey question for you. Have you known and believed the love that God has for you? Have you experienced his love? Are you trusting in it? Remember, we love him because he first loved us. If we haven't experienced his love, it's hard to love him back. Here's another scripture that talks about the same thing. Romans 5.5 says this, we know how dearly God loves us Because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to fill our hearts with the love of God. That's awesome. Let's let's just invite him to do that. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and just to fill our hearts with the love of God over these next few minutes and the next hours and days. Come and fill our hearts with the love of God. So here's a related question. How much do you think God loves you? You think he loves you as much as he loved John? You think he loves you as much as he loved Peter? What about his mom? Do you think he loved you as much as he loved Mary? What do you think? Well, there's an answer in scripture that blew me away. 1 John, in John, not 1 John, John 17, Jesus is praying for us. He says in verse 23, May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me, here it is, and that you love them as much as you love me. <laughs> Did you catch that? Jesus said, God loves us as much as he loves Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. That blows me away. The first time I heard that, I said, no way. Jesus is perfect. I'm a knucklehead. There's no way that God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. But that's what Jesus said. And that's the amazing thing about the love of God. It's not dependent on our performance. He loves us. Because of who he is. In fact, Paul gives us a great insight into this in Romans 5.8. It says this, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Do you get it? He doesn't love us because we're good or we're worthy or we've done enough good things. He loves us because He is love. We read it a few minutes ago in 1 John four sixteen. God is love. I really want us to get this deep in our hearts. The best way to do that is simply to say it to ourselves and maybe keep on saying it long after this talk is over. Let's say this together. God loves me. He loves me as much as he loves Jesus. Say it again, would you? God loves me. He loves me as much as he loves Jesus. Now, some of you are saying, well, Lonnie, if God loves me so much, why have all these bad things that have gone on in my life happened to me? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because if we can shed some light on this problem, why bad things happen to people, it could clear away some obstacles in your life that keep you from receiving the love of God and beginning to love him back with all your heart and soul and mind. So why do bad things happen, especially to good people? I have several thoughts. (laughs) Here's the first one. Sometimes we're idiots, right? (laughs) We do stupid things, and bad things happen as a result. We did a whole series on stupid taxes where we heard about this. We talked about this. The brother of a friend of mine was riding a wheelie on his motorcycle at 80 miles an hour through a parking lot. This was a bad choice. He hit one of those pieces of concrete, you know, that keep people from running off the asphalt onto the grass, and he died. And some people would say, oh, why did God take him? Did God take him? No, he was an idiot. (laughs) It was the result of a bad choice that he made. And you're saying, well, yep, some of this bad stuff that happened to me is because of bad choices that I made, but not all of it. What about the rest of it that wasn't my fault? Well, here's a second possibility. Sometimes, Other people make bad decisions, bad choices, and bad things happen to us as a result of their bad choices. We can be the victims of other people's sins, right? I know people who grew up in abusive homes Physically, emotionally, verbally, sexually abusive homes. The immense pain in their lives is not their fault. They were abused by people who were charged with protecting and cherishing them. And usually those abusive people were themselves abused and didn't know how to forgive and process the pain and be healed. They didn't know how to be healed themselves, so they took their pain out on defenseless children. And you're saying, well, that's not fair. I know. But it is the reason that some of the bad stuff happened in your life, right? It's one of the reasons Jeff took a whole talk to help us understand forgiveness. And we wrote stuff down and we put it in the fire. It's part of processing the pain of things that others have done to us. Part of the process of forgiveness. Part of the process of healing. And you're saying, yep. Some of the bad stuff that happened is because of bad choices I made and some of it's because of bad choices other people happened made, but not all of it. If God loves me so much, why did he let these other bad things happen? Well, let me talk to you about three more things. First is the sovereignty of God. His sovereignty is one of God's attributes, like his omnipotence or his omnipresence. Sovereign means having supreme or ultimate power, okay? Having supreme or ultimate power. The problem is that some people have misunderstood what it means to have supreme or ultimate power. Some people think that it means because he has supreme ultimate power, everything that happens is his will. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever done anything that God didn't want you to do? Did he stop you? No. He let you do something he didn't want you to do. He let you do something that wasn't his will. So can you see that he's not controlling everything that happens? you see that not everything that happens is God's will let me show you a different way Jesus taught us to pray your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven if everything that happened was God's will why would Jesus teach us to pray that and work for that so His sovereignty doesn't mean that everything that happens is His will. It means that ultimately His kingdom will come and His will will be done on earth as it is heaven. And we get to be part of bringing that to pass. But it doesn't mean that He controls everything that happens. Here's the second thing we need to realize. We live in a world that's cursed by sin. This world is not the way God created it. It's been distorted and twisted by sin. So all kinds of bad things happen to good people just because we live in a sin-cursed world. Jeff gave us a few weeks ago the word entropy. One definition is a lack of order or predictability. Gradual decline into disorder. This is one of the reasons I don't have enough faith to believe in evolution. Things don't evolve towards greater order, but towards disorder and chaos. Listen, were there any hurricanes or floods or wildfires in the Garden of Eden? (laughs) No. that sort of thing didn't come into the world until after sin entered the world. Sometimes bad things happen to people just because we live in a world that's cursed and twisted by sin. I got one more shot. Here's the third thing. We have an enemy. There is an evil entity known as Satan. And there is a battle going on between God who loves us and Satan who hates us if for no other reason than because God loves us and he hates God. Jesus called him a liar and the father of lies. And honestly, he's done a pretty good job of telling lies about who God is and blaming him for things that he had nothing to do with in an attempt to alienate people from the one who loves them. Look at this verse in 2 Corinthians. Satan, who is the god of this world, now probably a better translation would be the god of this age, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. How does he blind their minds? Well, I believe he does it by telling them lies about who God is and what he does. If the enemy can convince people that God is actually the source of their troubles, why would they turn to him for help? How could they love him with all their heart and soul and mind if he's the one who's causing all their pain? Does this make sense? So let me remind you and point you to Jesus. He's the one who healed every person who came. To him. He's the one who hung out with ordinary people like you and me. He's the one who welcomed prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors and professional fishermen and militant nationalists. And they listened to him and loved him and followed him because he loved them and accepted them and helped them, forgave them, healed them, restored them, gave them hope. And he did all that to show us who God is. Scriptures tell us, if we want to know what God is like, we can look at Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. So, if we're talking about God loving us and loves, us loving him with all our heart and soul and mind, we're talking about a close relationship, a relationship where we can be completely open and honest and know that we'll always be accepted in love, where we can be fully known And still loved. Someone defined intimacy as into me see. (laughs) Real intimacy is letting someone else see who you really are. Now, that's a terrific risk, isn't it? If they see who I really am, that I'm not perfect, they might reject me. John tells us in the 24th verse of the fourth chapter, God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, this word truth doesn't mean the Bible or the Torah. For you Greek scholars out there, it doesn't mean logos or rhema. It means nothing hidden. It means to be real. We must worship him in spirit and with nothing hidden. It means being honest, being authentic in our worship. It means letting God into me see all the good and the bad and the ugly. Some of you are saying, well, yeah, but he already knows all that stuff. He knows everything. Yeah, but he wants you to tell him. David said it in Psalm 62, verse 8. Oh, my people. Trust in Him at all times. Look at this. Pour out your heart to Him, for God is our refuge. What's in your heart? Is there anger and bitterness there? Pour it out. Is there guilt and shame there? Pour it out. Is there jealousy or lust? Pour it out. Is there praise and thanksgiving? Pour it out. David does a great job of modeling this for us. He says in Psalm 42, 6, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Now that doesn't mean much to us. But remember, David was a shepherd. And when a sheep is cast down, that means somehow they've fallen down and rolled over onto their back and they cannot get up. They lie there and they kick and they struggle but unless someone comes and helps them back up, they die. And that's what David's saying to God. God, my soul is cast down. I'm on my back here. You've got to come help me. I can't get back up on my own. He was honest with God. He let God see into his heart. And we've got to talk to God honestly and openly. We've got to be authentic with God. When we pray, it can't be just what we think he wants to hear. (laughs) We've got to be real. The other part is listening. If in your relationship with your spouse, you just talk and you never listen, you're in big trouble. Pastor Jeff talked a lot about the importance of us listening to the people around us. Remember, they have a different line of sight. How much more important then is it for us to listen to God? Let me point you to a monk named Brother Lawrence. He's famous for practicing the presence of God. He worked in the kitchen of the monastery. So he's he's washing pots and pans. He began practicing the reality of the presence of God. He just acted like Jesus was there with him in the kitchen. He would talk to the Lord. Now maybe just in his mind, you don't want the people in white coats to come and take you away, right? He would talk to the Lord and listen for what the Holy Spirit might say to him. I heard another story about a man who was quite ill. He decided he was going to act like Jesus was really present with him. He was going to act like he was sitting in the chair next to his bed. He was going to talk to him and listen to him. So that's what he did, day after day after day. One day his caregiver came in and found him dead. And they couldn't understand why he was halfway out of the bed hugging the chair. His practice became his reality. Jesus really is with us. Why not practice his presence? Let's look at this verse in Mark, the third chapter, verse 14. It says, he appointed 12, designated them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach. Did you catch that? First of all, just that they might be with him. First, they just hung out. They were just with him. And I know that what I'm about to say is going to sound heretical. They didn't have Bibles. And after Jesus ascended back to heaven, they still didn't have Bibles. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the Bible. I don't know how many times I've read it cover to cover. One time I was using a Bible reading guide that had me reading nine chapters a day. Three in the morning, three at noon, and three at night. If you miss two days on that plan, you are in deep kimchi. I've memorized scores of verses. I love the Bible, and God often speaks to me through the Scriptures. I encourage you to read it and study it and memorize it and meditate on it because the Bible is God's Word, and we need to know it. It's like guardrails to help us stay on the right path. But the Holy Scriptures were not given to us to replace the Holy Spirit. Someone said it like this. The scriptures are God's word. The Holy Spirit is God's voice. John said the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. He's the one who leads us. There's not a Bible verse that's going to tell you whether to move to Florida or Arizona or North Carolina. You need the Holy Spirit to guide you. He's the presence of Jesus for us today. And God is not mute he does speak to people today. Now I know, maybe we've had bad experiences with wackadoodles who claim to hear God's voice. The Lord told me to divorce my wife and move to the Bahamas and he was gonna give me a heavenly harem of seven Caribbean beauties because seven is the perfect number. Yeah, that's not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Remember, I said the Scriptures are like guardrails to help us stay on the right path. The Holy Spirit will not tell you something that contradicts the Bible. But we can't let wackadoodles rob us of having the presence of Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can't let them rob us of being guided by the Spirit. We can't let them rob us of hearing His voice, having thoughts come into our minds that really are from Him. That's usually how God speaks to me. John said it in uh, John 10, 27. He said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. In Bible times at night, all the shepherds put their sheep together into one sheepfold and then one of the shepherds would lay down across the opening to keep the sheep in and everything else out. That's what Jesus was referring to when he said, I'm the door of the sheep. In the morning, each shepherd then would come to the sheepfold and call his sheep by name. Here, Rudolph. Here, Dasher and Dancer. Here, Donner and Blitzen, Prancer. Oh, wait, maybe that's not their names. (laughs) The point is, they would recognize his voice and they would follow him out of the sheepfold to the pasture so if we're his sheep we have the promise that we'll know his voice, follow him here's the next to the last thing, Jesus said this I've loved you even as the father has loved me remain in my love when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love I've told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So those apostles who were called first just to be with him eventually were given assignments. And there will be callings that God will want us to fulfill. And we do them because we love him. And when we do them, when we do them, will be filled with joy. We often think of God asking us to do things and we think, oh, that's going to be so hard. It's going to take discipline. It's going to take courage. When the reality is that when we obey, we remain in his love and we're filled with joy. So let me bring this home with a Bible story. Joseph. So one of my favorite Bible characters. He's the guy that was sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. And then when he wouldn't let the wife of his new owner seduce him, he was framed and thrown into prison. All kinds of bad things happened. Then through a series of miraculous circumstances, his gifts are put on display. And in one day he goes from the prison to the palace and Pharaoh makes him the number two man in Egypt. That seems to be a lot better calling than the calling to prison, right? Joseph saves Egypt from being destroyed by a terrible famine, and eventually his brothers come to buy food from him, not knowing it's him, literally fulfilling his dreams of many years before about his family bowing down to him. He's reunited with his family. Several years go by, and his father dies, and his brothers are afraid that without their father's presence, Joseph is going to take revenge. So they tell him, Dad said you should forgive us, and please do. Listen to Joseph's reply. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Paul tells us the same thing in Romans eight twenty eight. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Here's what I want to leave you with today. We've all experienced difficult things in our lives. It's part of the human condition. It's part of living in a sin-cursed world. But God isn't the one who caused those horrible things that happened. He loves us. He wants a relationship with us. And if we'll surrender our lives to Him, begin to develop that intimate relationship with that that he so desires, if we'll come to love him with all of our heart and soul and mind, then he absolutely will take those bad things that have happened to you and somehow transform them and use them to bring good into our lives just like he did for Joseph. I've seen him do it again and again in my life and in the lives of countless people that I know. He's here today to give you that hope. Now, one of the most powerful ways to grow in loving God with all of your heart and soul and mind is to build spiritually intentional relationships with other people. Sometimes when you're struggling, your friends can help you and when they're struggling, you can help them. It's amazing how it works and that's why we've been putting such an emphasis on being part of a tribe. And If you need help finding a tribe, Text Tribes to 77948. Do it now. This is a time when you can legally text in church. (laughs) So what do you need to do to begin loving God with all your heart and soul and mind? That's the foundational calling. That's the most important thing. It's not about keeping a bunch of rules. It's not about giving up everything that's fun. The most important thing, is simply loving God. Now we're going to worship with a couple of songs now. So would you stand with me? I want to leave you with the two verses that we started with. Matthew 22, 37. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. Lord, help us. Let your Holy Spirit pour your love into our hearts. Help us to genuinely experience how you feel about us. And then help us to love you with all of our heart and soul and mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. If you found this message encouraging, we invite you to share it. For more information, visit tbcweb.com.